You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, James Mesh. Happy birthday to you. This guy. Terrible singing, I know, but welcome in <laughs> to a Tuesday edition of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. James. Producer, co-host, newly 23-year-old. Yeah. What's going on, buddy? How are you? Going good, Matt. How about you? Appreciate I'm, the singing. I'm good. I'm good. I, that, that's your present, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's your present. Because um, Don't I mean, expect just, anything else. That's just worth millions. Other than my presence. Yeah, right. You get my to talk, presence is my present. You get to talk to me for the next 90 minutes. I mean, <sighs> yes. All right. I mean, lucky you. I mean, I'm succeeding in life. Oh, my God. So on today's show, we're going to get to a ton of different things. We're going to preview LSU two-lane baseball. We're going to talk Louisiana Tech and the Cajuns doing battle on the diamond tonight. Plus, the Pelicans have made the play-in tournament for the second straight year. We're going to preview that matchup from the Oklahoma City Thunder side of things with Andrew Schlecht of The Athletic. He'll join us at 4.30 to preview that matchup. Matt Bellinson of the Rustin Leader, he will join us at 5 o'clock at the top of hour number two to preview Louisiana and Louisiana Tech. Once again, hit us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Zion Williamson met with the media today, and he said that he will return Quote, when I feel like Zion. James Mesh, are you noticing a trend with our lovely New Orleans Pelicans? Well, I've kind of noticed a trend with not only the New Orleans Pelicans, but a lot more players in general nowadays because it's not just the let me get over the injury and let me play again. It's a lot more people have focused on the mental side of things, making sure that your mental's all good as, intact because as you should as they should because we've seen it earlier with not just other players around the league and other leagues in general but also with bi with the pelicans yep he, absolutely he was pretty much good with his injury but it was extended longer because he was dealing with something mentally we'd seen it with calvin ridley before he took his i guess you could say hiatus with the falcons before he got traded because we ended up finding kind of recently he had a close family member pass away and then he was robbed i mean mm-hmm. it was like a lot of stuff that you were dealing with mentally with your family and then with your personal self so it's like well look it's 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 a trend that if you're just now getting into it like expect it because yep. not only is it mentally or not only is it physically but making sure that you're good mentally to play the game that you love look, is an important part of your game as as somebody who deals with mental health issues. I am never going to knock somebody for taking time away to get because they don't feel right mentally. I mean, you you do what you got to do because we we look at sports as oh, you know, you have superior physical ability, you're just that good. You must be superhuman. There's also a huge mental side to all of it. Um, and if you're not right mentally, you're not going to be right physically. So that's that's really, honestly, it, it's kind of become a bigger part than just the physical side of things um, with, with the, the mental health studies that have come out o- over the last couple of years. But yeah, you know, you, you brought up Brandon Ingram 
kind of went through the same thing earlier this year. He wasn't necessarily injured anymore, but his mental headspace wasn't right. So it was a, I'll come back when I feel like I'm ready. And he came back, and he's been big for the Pelicans since he's returned. Now Zion Williamson's kind of going through the same thing. So the question becomes, do you see Zion at all? Obviously, it's going to depend on how the Pelicans perform in the play-in and if they can get to a first-round series. But let's say, hypothetically, the Pelicans come out of nowhere. They get out of the play-in, they get to a first-round playoff series, and say they win the first-round playoff series. Say you go to the second round of the playoffs. That's a good two weeks from now? The second round, maybe even three weeks from now? Is that enough time for Zion to say, you know what, I'm good, I can come back? At that point, is it even worth it for the Pelicans from a chemistry standpoint? Because Zion hasn't played with them in 50-something games now. Would it be worth disrupting the chemistry in the second round of the playoffs to put Zion Williamson back on the court? I don't know. That, that That's a question that... that only the Pelicans and time could really answer. But if you're the Pelicans, you kind of have to play this game as annoying and aggravating as it may be because Zion's the face of your franchise. Even when he's not on the court, Zion Williamson is the face of the New Orleans Pelicans. When you hear New Orleans Pelicans, most people instantly think about Zion Williamson. Even in a sweatsuit sitting at the end of the bench, he's the face of your franchise. So you have to play this game. You have to give Zion Williamson all the time that he needs to be right. Because whether it's next year or it's two years from now, you're going to need him. And you're going to need him to be right. So if that means he takes the rest of this season off, then that means he takes the rest of the season off. You got to live with it. That'd be like the Saints trying to rush back Michael Thomas when he's just not ready. It's a very similar situation. You have to take it easy, not only with injuries, but from the mental side of things. Look at some other top stories in the world of sports. Devin White has requested a trade from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He has one year left on his contract. Former LSU Tiger. Apparently the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do not want to trade him. But if it comes down to the point where he's not going to be happy, and that affects things not only in the locker room, but on the field. James, at what point do you kind of have no choice? You at a, at a certain point, you kind of don't, because if a guy just doesn't want to play for you, who are you to keep him there? And where does he go? I initially think the Texans. Let D'Amico Ryans go get a key piece that he could build around since... Devin White is still a really young player, and he's really good. So he's a guy that you could kind of build around with that defense. You have Derek Stingley in the secondary. You kind of want to get some pass rush help. But then if you can get a guy at each level on that defense, D'Amico Ryans could really turn around that Texans franchise, especially if you can find the right quarterback and get weapons for said quarterback. The Texans could turn around and make some noise in the AFC South and give Jacksonville a run for their money. Who that? Tampa Bay ain't Who that? Tampa Bay would never trade it. Trade someone like that. Look, look, if the price is right. I mean, yeah, but you're not gonna because here's the same. Are the, you gonna are you gonna pay like three times as much? It was the same thing how we had the conversation with Sean Payton and trading him to the Panthers. No, it's true. You can you can you can call, but are the Saints gonna offer three times as much as the Texans would to go get Devin White? Realistically. What, what's the trade package that the, the Buccaneers you think are looking for? What can they get for Devin White? Well, Is I he mean, a first-round pick? He was a very high first-round pick, and he's 
you would say definitely panned out. Yeah, right? I mean, he's only 25. Yeah, I would I would ask for a probably a first round in return and then get either a mid mid to kind of a little bit later pick like third, fourth, maybe a fifth. So if and the, then and or or just get a solid player that you could work with so that's your roster. So if the Saints threw two firsts, okay, and some player, I don't know, just a, a role player type of guy, decent player, not a superstar. Maybe somebody in the secondary. I don't really know. I, I don't have anybody or, or know, like on or like. Tano? Sure. Tano passing you. That works. Two first and Tano? For Devin? Do, do the Bucks take that? I don't know if that'd still be enough. Oh. If I'm if I'm Tampa, because it's like look. Cause like look, you getting two firsts and a solid edge rusher because that'd be nice because you never have enough. But it's like you look at it, it's it's the same thing with, I mean, yeah, you would never get the same amount of value back because it's the same thing with Zion. Devin White's 25. Devin White is still a lot, and I mean a lot of years left. You can get two first-round picks, but it's like you'd almost, you would need so much more. If you're going to be seeing him twice a year, potentially three times, depending if you see each other in the playoffs, is that worth you getting two first-round picks in an all-right role player? That's a rotational piece? It's true. That's true. It, it 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 doesn't equal enough in now, my eyes if I'm the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. While we stay on the topic of the NFC South, have the Atlanta Falcons, have Terry Fontenot and the Atlanta Falcons fleeced the Detroit Lions? They're they're they, they people need to start watching out for the Falcons because they've made a lot of moves this offseason to fix up that defense because it has been putrid the last few years. They have not looked all that good since 2016 when they made that Super Bowl run. And the only thing in my eyes is it's been so bad and you've added in a lot of pieces. You grabbed a couple of Saints and David Onyemon and Kane Nelson, and then you just got Jeff Okuda. That secondary is looking nasty. A.J. Terrell, good. think he's a little overrated. Maybe that's just because I see Mike Thomas Jesse body Bates. him. Like Je- you got Jesse Bates as a safety. Jeff Okuda. I would think you would go get an edge rusher to help still in the first round with that eighth overall pick. I think you go get one of the top edge rushers you can go get. You think at you that get point it? there's that's a lot of new moving pieces, so the chemistry won't be there. So the first at least half the season, I would say, there's going to be a lot of we still need to figure out the chemistry. But the second half of the season, you would see Atlanta's defense kind of turn a corner in a way, and then in 2024 you could see Atlanta depending on how that offense starts to look have a real case for being in NFC South contender and winning the winning the division so you talked about the the Falcons drafting an edge rusher would they play Campbell or Anyamada on the interior because you went acquire Calais Campbell you got David Anyamada as well you already have Grady Jarrett on that defensive line. Would you move either Campbell or Onyemata inside in, in that instance? Well, I mean, you could already have... Grady had previously played on the interior, so if I'm right. Atlanta, I would probably have Grady and David on the interior. And then Campbell and... and Campbell and whoever you get you draft on, on the outside. Either, either ends. Huh. Yeah. That, that's a scary defensive line. <laughs> yeah, because I can't remember exactly with the Falcons if they're more of a 3-4 or 4-3. I think they're a 4-3. It's just they didn't really have a lot of guys on the outside, so they just moved Grady out there because, I mean, he can do both. Do not be surprised if somebody, and I'm going to put air quotes around this because I don't believe that it would be one. Do not be surprised if somebody reaches for Nolan Smith. I mean, yeah, if you if you go look at my mock, I mean, when would you say is a reach when you throw up your air quotes? Are you saying I could see Atlanta taking him at eight? Saying at eight? Okay, because I have him at I have him going at ten right now in my latest mock draft to the Eagles. I feel like anything if he gets drafted in the top ten, most people are gonna say that's a reach just because he didn't play a lot. But we're talking about a guy that before he got hurt was a top five pick. 
Okay, so they Atlanta plays a 3-4. I'm looking at it. They have Caden, Troy, Michael Walker, and then Arnold Ebikidi as no. to, to kind of cover that basis. But so still, it's like Calais, Calais Campbell would probably be rotational. I would put Calais as a on the back end because dude's 36. Yeah, he's probably rotational. At that point, how much more? How much more does so he have in that motor? Your line would probably be Grady Jarrett, David have, Onyemata, mm-hmm. and then whoever you draft. Yeah, because you'd still have Grady Connell on that outside. Right. You'd have David Onyemata at the nose tackle, and then correct whoever you got left, or whoever you draft. Whether it's like Tyree, Will Anderson, if he were to fall to eight, or if Atlanta trades up to go get him, or freaky. Nolan Smith. Freaky, 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 and. Let's not forget that they're still in the mix for Lamar Jackson. Got a great show lined up for you today. Only 90 minutes LSU baseball is in New Orleans, uptown New Orleans, that is, to play the two-lane green wave tonight, pregame beginning at 5.30. We will come back. We will talk Louisiana Raging Cajuns baseball. Hear from head coach Matt Deggs next this is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and much more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Clock reads 422 here on your Tuesday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on the simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. The Louisiana Rage and Cajuns getting ready to do battle tonight with the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs at MLT Moore Field at Russo Park. Tech coming into this game with a record of 16-16. and 16. You'll hear from one of their beat reporters a little later on in the show about their season and who really stands out on their roster. But right now, focusing on the Cajuns who come into this game with a record of 23-9, and currently sitting at first place in the Sun Belt. This past week, they had a great 4-0 week, picking up a win over Tulane 8-7. to they, they made that game a little harder than it needed to be. But a win is a win. And then you go to Charleston, West Virginia, and sweep Marshall on the road 8-4, to 5-2, to two, and then 8-2 to two, to now put yourself at a 23-9 spot again, leading the Sun Belt Conference. Yesterday, Matt Deggs met with the media for his weekly media availability, and he gave his thoughts on the past week for Louisiana. Yeah, it was a great week for us. We needed this week uh, four no weeks, about as good as it gets. And uh, I think we've had one other uh, against BYU earlier in the year. We're kind of grinding our gears a little bit against App State, and uh, we're able to respond and win that game on Sunday. I think it was 6 nothing. Build a sizable lead against Tulane and uh, still kind of fight ourselves, and they wind up tying it in the ninth, and we're able to respond right back and win it in the bottom half. Uh, and then had a great trip over to, to uh, Charleston, West Virginia, and, and uh, had a great practice that night in Huntington. And uh, I thought we played extremely well all three games. I thought the theme all weekend was starting pitching uh, into the seventh. Uh, Coop finishes it, uh, and then we go uh, – 
I think into the seventh again, maybe, or through six, and uh, David Christie finishes it. Use six arms, all told, uh, and then get a great start out of Nezu, who's in the seventh, and, and uh, Fluno comes in and finishes that one. And so did enough offensively. Uh, we were able to lengthen the field some this week and, and uh, use the power of the long ball. Uh, thought Rocco showed signs of really coming on. Uh, Max Marshak continues to improve, and uh, – Ben Robichaud kind of continues to do his thing. Uh, so we've got guys stepping up. Uh, Big John Taylor uh, in the absence of Debo. And it's kind of been uh, Zambo, Lejeune. Um, CJ had a tremendous series this past weekend. So uh, it was good to see. It was great team baseball. Anytime you get a sweep, especially on the road, it covers up a lot of stuff. And so feel a little bit better about the App State series after uh, doing what we did this past weekend. To continue that conversation, you know, on a four-game win streak, looking to make it five tonight against Louisiana Tech, playing some of their best baseball right now, most recently being ranked as high as 28 in the collegiate baseball top 30. Matt Degg says that this team is hitting their stride. That was just good baseball, you know. We've been working to play just good, nasty Cajun baseball. And, and uh, I'd say the first game was pretty good. Second game got better. And the third game, that's how I'd like to start them, you know. We, uh, Shock leads off with a, a triple straight away. Uh, Roby jumps ship uh, a couple of pitches later. And then Rock fights off to get uh, a good two-strike pitch where he's able to go down and get it and flip it out of the ballpark down the line. We're up three to nothing. And it kind of took their wind, took their breath away a little bit. And uh, followed that up with some rock-solid pitching. Really good defense. I think we're fielding close to 980 on a year now. I think we're at 978. Uh, so we're hitting several goals that we had before the season started. Wanted to field uh, 980. We're right there. Uh, 400 on base. We're right there. Uh, our walk totals are way, way, way up from a year ago. And uh, I think we're plus 53 right now on freebies, which, to remind you, we finished the year minus 32 last year. So uh, I think we can still take another step, and we're in the midst of doing that right now as a team. And uh, when we hit it, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. James, uh, yesterday Matt Degg said something that's going to make you excited. Um, he hopes – that at some point this week, in some capacity, Kyle DeBarge will turn return to the field. Oh, boy, Swagalish is coming back. Whether it's base running or defense yeah, or, being, or what, being like a designated runner. Whatever it could be, he said that he would like to get DeBarge back on the field some way, shape, or form. I'd love week. that because he's been in that hand cast for like, mm -hmm. what, the last two, three weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks. Um, yeah, had had to have surgery to to remove a bone from his hand, but uh, yeah, he said yesterday that things were going well and that they were hoping to to get him back on the field this week. Um, so big step there for Kyle DeBarge. Speaking of injury news for Louisiana, Adam Schefter reported about an hour ago that UL wide receiver Michael Jefferson, who was considered to be a likely mid round draft pick was involved in a multi-car crash Sunday night in Mobile that required multiple surgeries. Obviously devastating news for the Cajuns wide receiver. We hope nothing but the best in his recovery. Um, not sure what, what this means for football, but right now in terms of Michael Jefferson, that doesn't really seem like it matters. Um, so obviously praying for him and his family and hoping that he makes a very speedy recovery. Transitioning from baseball to Michael Jefferson to Cajuns football, Michael Desermo met with the media following the spring game on Thursday night. And when you look at the spring game, there were tons of breakout performances from new faces. Zion Chris at quarterback, Travion Colbert, Terrence Carter, Lance Lejean had a great night as well. Michael Desermo said that when you look at this offense in 2023, there's going to be plenty of new faces making an impact. You know, this spring we you know kind of talked about it a little bit in here throughout the spring. There are going to be some new faces, particularly on offense, that you know are going to be playing much bigger roles than what we've had in the past. You know, you lose Michael Jefferson, you lose Chris Smith. Um, you know, those two right there have 
caught a bunch of touchdowns. You know, John Stevens was in the indoor today watching too. You know, a bunch of guys that have scored points. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, we, we feel really good about the group we have. You know, that receiver group is one that you've got, you know, some guys at the top that have made some plays, but everybody else really, they're kind of all fighting for those spots. You know, at running back, it's the same thing. You know, I mean, they were kind of all second to Chris and everybody was kind of behind Chris. So now it's, you know, who's going to be the guy who's going to step up and do it. And certainly, you know, when you have Zeon playing quarterback, you know, that's that's a new face a little bit too. So, um, yeah, you know, we kind of, it's kind of what it'll be a little bit. And, um, you know, I think those guys all spring have really gone out there and competed. They understand that their time is now. Um, and, you know, you're in a good spot when you got a bunch of guys that are competing for spots and time as a backup and as a contributor. Coach Des also talked about Zeon Chris's performance having to take the reps for both the first team and second team all spring. Uh, I'll grade them, and then I'll come back to you. Uh, no, I, I mean – Zeon's done some really good things this spring, and tonight he's made some really good throws out there, um, competed really well, um, certainly made some mistakes. Um, some of them were, were avoidable, you know, mistakes that, you know, were kind of self-inflicted, and some of them were forced mistakes that the defense made. So, you know, you go back and look at the film and try to figure out exactly which is which, but, uh, you know, overall, I mean, I, I'm proud of him. You know, the amount of reps he took this spring, the progress that he's made, and, um, you know, tonight you can see why we're excited about him. You know, he, he did a lot of things tonight that kind of make you say, ooh, a little bit. And, uh, you know, and then at the same time, you turn around and made a couple mistakes that you, you know, you wish you didn't. But um, I'm proud of him. You know, the thing I love about that kid is that he bounces back. You know, he, he throws a pick um, in, in one period. And he comes back, then, you know, two plays later and hits Jake Bernard on a double move down the seam. You know, it's it's. It's kind of kind of competitor he is, and that that's that's what you need is a guy that can shake it off and just keep playing. Andrew Schlecht joins us next. We'll talk Thunder and Pelicans in the NBA Play-In Tournament. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The NBA playoffs are here, and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just give FanDuel, just go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB right now and place a $5 bet, and you'll get an instant $150 in bonus bets whether you win or lose. I'm going to take the Boston Celtics to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. The app is safe and super easy to use. They have great promotions every day, and you're going to get paid instantly whenever your bet hits. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Just go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB and sign up to get $150 in bonus bets when you get your first bet $5 when you push, put your first $5 bet in. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana permitted parishes only. Bonus issue is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after the receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem, what's up? Call 1-877-770-STOP. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back, 437 here on your Tuesday. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The New Orleans Pelicans have a play-in matchup with the Oklahoma City Thunder tomorrow night inside the Smoothie King Center. That game's set for 8.30 p.m., Let's talk about it with a guy who covers the Oklahoma City Thunder for the athletic, Mr. Andrew Schlecht. Andrew, really appreciate your time, man, on this Tuesday afternoon. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So looking at the Oklahoma City Thunder, 40-42, and 42, they finished third in the Northwest Division behind Minnesota and Denver. Just you know, looking at this season – the Thunder have really gone about this process the long way, right? Trading Kevin Durant, trading Russell Westbrook and James Harden, stocking up draft picks over the years to really just get younger and, and build their roster the way they saw it fit. And with guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Chet Holmgren, Lou Dort, Josh Giddy, 
not only are, are the Thunder finding success, but they're doing it with low contracts and young talent. Yeah, they they have really turned this around pretty quickly. I mean, they they basically missed the postseason for for two years, and then they're back. Uh, part of that is that when they did trade Paul George and Westbrook, they kind of put together this hodgepodge team that made a little run to the fifth seed uh, in the playoffs, and that team had some success. But what they were really looking to do is put together a team that could be good for a decade and you a Chris Paul that team is probably not going to be good for a decade and so they had their piece in Shea and then they kind of left it up to the lottery balls after that and they got some bad luck in the 2021 draft and ended up getting a good player in Josh Giddy. Um, so it ended up working out even though it was not the result they wanted and then in the 2022 draft uh, everything worked out just like they wanted um, they got Chet Holmgren, they drafted Jalen Williams at 12, they drafted Usman Jang at 11, and you know that draft, even though we haven't seen Chet play, has helped set the Thunder up with the uh, with Shea and Josh Giddy, and then now Jalen Williams. Uh, they can build this thing slowly and steadily. You know they weren't supposed to be here. I think most most people predicted they'd win games in the win around 20 ish games this year. They were picked to win 23. And a half, and so they're actually. It's funny because they um, they hit the over by 16 games, which is the exact same number that they hit over when they first got to the playoffs in 2010 when they played the Lakers. Um, no one really believed in them that year either, and certainly no one believed in them this year. And so, you know, against the, the, against the more experienced Pelicans, this Thunder group is kind of playing with house money. Yeah, you know, when you look at the roster, what, what's mind-blowing to me is we, we just spent some time talking about the young talent. There's not a single player on the roster aged 30 or older. Yep. I mean, that's yeah. that, that's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, with that should come a lot of losing. You know, you look at every other team that has an average age of like 23 or younger. Uh, that's the Pistons. It's the Rockets. That's the San Antonio Spurs. All those teams are at the bottom. And I think you just have to give a lot of credit to the culture that the Thunder have built. Um, Mark Degnault, who's a young coach himself, I think he's the third youngest coach in the NBA, um, has done a really good job. I mean, that guy goes to sleep thinking about development. He wakes up thinking about development. I mean, that's his whole life. And they want to make sure not only are they developing talent, which they've done a pretty good job of, but they're developing people, too. They care about the maturity of their players, and they draft guys that are a little bit more mature than than most, you know, 18 to 20-year-olds, and then they try to develop that aspect too, which helps on the court. I mean, you can see frustration boiling over in places like Houston where maybe they don't put as much emphasis on that. And so, you know, that certainly has that's a, that's a piece of the puzzle for the Thunder, no doubt. Looking at Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he's, he's kind of where everything starts for this team he came to the Thunder in 2019 and really started off strong, averaging 19 points a game. Then it went up to 24. Then it went up to 25. And now he's sitting here at 31.4 points a game this season, shooting 51% from the field. Just kind of talk about Shea's development, how he's grown in this Oklahoma City organization to really be on, on the cusp of being a superstar in this league. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of Shea's story from whenever he was young, is that he was always underestimated. I mean, he didn't even start on his Kentucky, on the team he was on for Kentucky. I think he was like the seventh guy in like rankings and in the recruiting class that Kentucky brought in and kind of shot toward the top of that, was, ended up being their go-to player down the stretch of the season. You know, he gets to... He gets to the Clippers, and he's kind of a role player, and he kind of stars in his role for the Clippers in the playoffs. He averaged 13 points for them in the playoffs, which was kind of a surprise. And then he gets to OKC, and you know, a lot of people think about that Oklahoma City version, think about Chris Paul and Steven Adams, even like Danilo Gallinari, but people forget that Shea was the leading scorer on the team that year, averaging 19 points per game. That was a little bit of a surprise. Then he comes back the next year, and he – has it going from three, shoots 40% from three, and then he continues to just add little things here or there. 
Now, he has that. I mean, he went from 24 to 31 points per game. That's astonishing. He went from 81% from the free throw line to 90% and is taking three over, over three more free throws. You know, that's how that scoring has ticked up. But the most dramatic thing that's changed for Shea this year is the defense. Like, Shea cares about defending the best guys on the other end. And he's got tremendous length. Uh, Monty Williams, who's the head coach of the Suns, came through a few weeks ago and said, you know, when you when I look at him out there, he looks like a big wing. He doesn't look like a point guard. And so the Thunder kind of have an advantage there that their point of attack defense obviously starts with Lou Dort. But then the guy that's flanking him is this six foot six athletic two guard, basically. Um, and he handles most of the most of the load for the Thunder offensively, but the guy really cares about defense. And he's averaging over a steal and over a block this season. Uh, you know, you plug his numbers into Stathead, 31, 5, and 5 with a steal and a half and a block. And the guys that pop up are 86 Jordan You get a and you get a Dwayne Wade. And, like, that's it. Like, those are the guys that have done that. Now, you can quibble with the stats of this year and how much everything has exploded, but like facts are facts with what Shea's done. He's he's been absolutely tremendous. He's a great leader too. He never wavered. I talked to him before the season about just all the losing that had happened and whether, you know, he was listening to any of the voices and wanting him to find another location for the, for his career and he just didn't waver. He said that he really believed in the team and that they believed in him and he wanted to kind of see this through and you know, the Thunder, I think winning this year has been able to stave off a lot of the noise that would have been surrounding Shea had they been in the lottery again. Now, Andrew, you had mentioned a little earlier about Chet Holmgren, and he hasn't played yet for the Thunder, but, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he did. I had seen reports a little earlier that he had put on a little muscle, put on a little weight since being injured. And, I mean, what impact could he have on this team? And could it be like a big three with Shea? Um, him and and uh, Josh Giddy could be. I mean, some people would think that that third guy would be Jalen Williams. We'll have to see how Jalen and Josh's summers go because both those guys can have a really high impact. But yeah, I think he can be. I mean, he's he was really the guy the Thunder had targeted all year in the draft in the 2022 draft. They were you know crossing their fingers the whole season, hoping that they could land Chet Holmgren because of the skill set that he has you know he's over seven feet really long arms he can shoot from deep he can handle a little bit he can rebound and he's a great rim protector and he finishes just about everything uh, close to the rim and so the thunder don't have anybody like that like nobody close to that that, that plays with them right now and so i think that he's going to add a lot now he's added some muscle certainly uh, and it's going to take more time for him because he really is still very skinny he's very slight and the NBA game is physical and it's grueling. And the, I think the Thunder had to learn that throughout this season is that most of these guys hadn't played 82 games before. You know, it's, it's a tough, tough season. You know, most of these guys within the last couple of years are playing in high school. So it's, it's a tough schedule, and I think it's going to be tough on Chet next year. I think it's going to take some time for him to figure it out. But once he figures it out, he fits this team to a T. They they don't have a rim protector, and they've kind of figured out how to play without one with their like swarming-style defense. But once you add a, a rim protector and another player that the defense cares about, I think it really could can, could change the, the complexity of the Thunder's offense, certainly. Andrew Schleck with The Athletic talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder coming up with a pregame play-in tournament with the Pelicans tomorrow night. Andrew, I mean – the Pel- the Thunder, they're 60-25 and 25 on the road this year. They're not the best road team at this point. What is a key factor, multiple key factors, for Oklahoma City to keep going and keep their season alive? So I, I really think it's going to be, and you hate to say this, but it's kind of a make-or-miss game. You know, they've got guys coming off the bench and Isaiah Joe that can get real hot from three. Uh, hadn't shot as well on the road as he has at home. Uh, same for Jalen Williams. Like Jalen Williams is going to be a huge factor, and it's really just shooting. I think Shea's going to get his thirty plus. Like I would almost book that. You know, he, you know, the Pelicans have Herb Jones, but still, 
Shea's averaged 33 points against the Pelicans in the four games they played. So I think you can book the 33 uh, points for Shea. And now it's who else steps up? You know, is it does Josh Giddy get it going? Because they're gonna let they're gonna let Josh shoot. They're gonna let Lou Dort shoot. And how does the Thunder figure that out? Um, how do they attack that? How do they let Shea attack that? Do, do they put Josh and Lou in action more than they do standing on the perimeter? I think that would be a smart move because they can both kind of do a little bit with the ball. Um, I'm really curious to see what that looks like because if if I'm the Pelicans, and this is what the Pelicans did against the Thunder, is that they just packed the paint and they said, you know, let Lou and Josh Giddy shoot. We don't care. And they let those guys stand out there all alone. And those guys will take shots. I don't think either of them are afraid to take shots. But, um, you know, you're putting your the game in the hands of your worst shooters. I think that that's kind of a scary proposition. So, to me, it's going to be how do you involve those two within the offense without just – having them stand on the perimeter, and then how do the role players shoot? Um, the other Jalen Williams that played for Arkansas, the big man, you know, they're going to let him shoot too. And he shot 40% from three this year. Um, still, no one is really buying it. It's not really in the scouting report that he's a shooter. And so I think, you know, we saw that in Utah. The Thunder got a really big win in Utah that helped propel them to the play-in. And they left Jay Will out there for open threes, and he hit three of them. And so this game, I think, is going to come down to, and I think the Thunder are going to do the same to these players for New Orleans. Like, what does Josh Richardson do? What what does Herb Jones do on the offensive end? Um, I think those guys are going to matter in this game where you can kind of scheme for the best players, and then do you get enough from your role players? And that's that's where you have to favor the Pelicans just because the game is at home. And you have the crowd behind you. You have these guys more comfortable. you know, these guys are more likely to knock down shots than guys like Jay Will and Isaiah Joe. Pelicans hold a 3-1 series advantage over the Oklahoma City Thunder this season. 8.30 tip tomorrow night inside the blender. Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic joining us here on Crunch Time. Andrew, really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow night. Enjoy whatever kind of run the, the Oklahoma City go on. Enjoy the off season, and uh, we'll talk to you again next season. Yeah, thanks so much. And there he goes, Andrew Schlecht of The Athletic. We'll take a timeout, wrap up hour number one right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We here at the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, know you love our shenanigans and we want to help you help us subscribe to our youtube channel at the game louisiana get notifications when we post our new content and video game recaps once we get to a thousand subscribers you can see even more fun behind the scenes at the game louisiana on youtube you're listening to the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles slings it far side stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're wrapping up our number one here as we're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. L- let's talk about those Houston Astros. Got a nice win against the Pirates last night. Now moving up to 5-6 and six on the season. Game 2 is going to be a little later today in about 40, 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to hear that on News Talk 98.5, our sister station. But, I mean, solid win last night. The offense kind of exploded. Yeah, the offense came out of absolutely nowhere. 13 base hits. You had three runs in the second, you had two in the fourth, and then you sprinkled in one in the first, one in the third, and then one in the seventh. And then your defense played well for you also. You only gave up three hits. Obviously, those three hits turned into two runs, one of them being a solo homer in the second by G-Man Choi. But for the most part, for the they, they played a great game. I mean, Fromber Valdez looked fantastic. He went seven innings. He gave up the two runs. He struck out five. I think his biggest glare is the fact that he walked five. Um, but no, I mean, the Astros got 
good performances out of everybody. Jordan Alvarez had a good night. Kyle Tucker had a good night. Mauricio Dubon had a nice night at the plate. You just need to replicate that now. And Christian Javier is going to be on the mound for the Astros this afternoon. He'll go up against Mitch Keller. Um, lineup kind of stayed the same. Jordan's going to DH today instead of playing left field. They're going to put Chaz McCormick in left field. They're going to put Jake Myers in center. And then other than that, everything's pretty much the same. Chaz is going to bat first and left. Bregman third. Alvarez will bat third and play designated hitter. Abreu bat fourth at first base. Kyle Tucker fifth. Jeremy Pena sixth. Jake Meyer seven. Dubon eight. And then Maldonado coming in at number nine. The Astros have the opportunity to get back to 500 with a win here this afternoon. We will recap this game tomorrow with To the Moon. A day late, but you know, to the moon will be here. Uh, Brian Lalima will join us to recap this game and look ahead to the rest of the week. But that's going to do it for hour number one. When we return, hour number two, we're going to talk some Louisiana Tech Bulldogs with Matt Bellinson, plus here LSU baseball as we get you set for the Tigers and the Green Wave from Uptown New Orleans, right here on the game. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the national champion LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast stadium 32.3 and channel 133 on LUS Fiber. We are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. In hour number one, we talked some Cajuns baseball as they get set to play Louisiana Tech. We also looked at a preview of the Pelicans and Thunder for the NBA play-in tournament that kicks off tonight. The Pelicans will play tomorrow night inside the Smoothie King Center with an 8.30 tip-off against Oklahoma City. Now let's shift back to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Let's look at this matchup from a different perspective. Let's talk some Louisiana Tech Bulldogs coming into Russo Park tonight with a record of 16-16 and on the season. Matt Bellinson of the Rustin Leader joins us here on crunch time matt really appreciate you taking the time on this tuesday afternoon man how are you i'm doing good guys thanks for having me on so let's talk about the bulldogs you know like i said 16 and 16 on the year they're coming off of a two and two week this past week with two wins over rice on the weekend you've also looking at the schedule played a really tough dallas baptist team a tough charlotte group and then you've had two top 10 series with arkansas and a, a two-game set with Ole Miss. Just kind of talk about the season as a whole. What's impressed? Where have the Bulldogs struggled? Things like that. Yeah, it, it's definitely the question I think Louisiana Tech fans have been asking pretty much this whole season. You know, if you're if you've been following Louisiana Tech for the past couple of years, this program has really taken a, a different turn into the national conversation. Um, you know, back-to-back 40-plus win seasons and came into this year as the you know, preseason number one team in Conference USA. Um, and like you mentioned, they're 16-16 and 16 right now. Um, I think they're outside the top 140 in the country in RPI. And it's in large part because they have just not taken care of the games that they have, you know, are supposed to. You know, if you look at their schedule, they you know opening series split with a BYU team um, that has just fallen off the face of the earth. You know, they split that series when you really probably should have swept couldn't sweep Nickel State, and then you know couldn't even take a game at Arkansas. You know, split with Air Force. You lost at ULM a few weeks ago, and then this past Tuesday you lose on a walk off to a Northwestern State team that's also had its you know fair share of struggle. So I think the overall message for Louisiana Tech fans this season has just been inconsistency. And I think if you're going into this matchup tonight, you know I don't I don't know what to expect with Louisiana Tech. You know I know it's not. Um, this is the, the type of analysis you were looking for, at least for that particular question. But they are just so up and down. You know, one series, their pitching staff comes alive, and then the next, you know, their offense fails them, and then it kind of flips. Um, it's just 
the model of inconsistency for this group has just hurt them at every single turn, and it's, it's really costing them an opportunity here, you know, to become, you know, that national powerhouse that they were you know, potentially on the verge of. Talk about the head coach, Lane Burroughs. You know, he's coming into his seventh season now at Louisiana Tech. He's won over 200 games in Ruston. Just talk about, you know, his mindset as the head coach. What stands out about what he does well, his assistance, the culture that he's built in Ruston? Yeah, I think, you know, with Lane, one thing I really appreciate about him is that he just calls it like it is. You know, as the season began and the, and the struggles were pretty evident, you know, a lot of people kind of initially passed it off as, you know, oh, we got plenty of time to fix this, you know, don't worry. But then the struggles continued and continued. Um, and one thing I really appreciated about Lane was he didn't show the things. Um, you know, like I just mentioned, they're just coming off, you know, back-to-back 41 seasons, all this preseason hype. Um, and through the first, you know, month of the season, he, he said this team was not playing good baseball. And, you know, some nights they're still not. But um, one thing I really appreciate about it is just his coaching style is he's very direct. He tells his players like it is. If he thinks they're doing well, he'll be the first to tell them. If he thinks they're failing, he'll also be the first to tell them. Um, and I think, you know, throughout this up-and-down season, he stayed pretty consistent in being direct. I think that's the one thing I can appreciate about him. Um, you know, he's also not afraid to make adjustments. You know, they came into this season – um, with you know, what you thought was going to be a pretty stable weekend rotation with, you know, Fincher, your Friday starter, he still has been a really dependable pitcher. But then they brought in a Texas Tech, or Texas A&M transfer, excuse me, and Raleigh Hector, and, you know, he, he's not even, he's barely pitches anymore. He's not on the weekend rotation, um, comes out of the bullpen, you know, every once in a while, but uh, he has not, you know, come to this program and uh, fulfilled expectations like they wanted. Um, and then Greg Martinez, another weekend starter, he's, he barely is used anymore, you know, He's using midweek starts every now and then, but it's just not the level that they expected him to. And so Lane is not one, uh, he's not afraid to make adjustments. And, you know, that applies to pitchers that have been in this program before, high level transfers. Um, you know, they obviously, you know, have had some uh, external issues in terms of, you know, suspending, you know, some of their best players. And, um, and Lane is just one that he, he's going to appreciate people who want to be here, that want to win. Um, and if you don't want to be part of this culture or you want to be part of winning, he's not afraid to, to put you on the bench or you know, get you out of the program. Chat with Matt Bellinson here on Crunch Time looking at the stats for the Bulldogs. Logan McLeod leading the way from an offensive perspective with a 299 average. Uh, Philip Matulia with 12 home runs and 28 RBIs so far on the season. Brody Drost having a strong season as well. Just kind of talk about you know who stands out from an offensive perspective and then looking at the pitchers, who who really has had a strong season there. Yeah, starting with the offense, you, you named probably their strongest guys right there. I mean, Philip Matulia, like you mentioned, team leader in home runs with 12. You know, that's one thing that has cost this team, you know, in, in a couple of spots as well, is that they've just lacked, you know, the dynamic power um, that you would expect out of a winning offense. And then, like you mentioned, you know, McLeod and Dross, you know, have had some pretty decent seasons. But, you know, when Philip Matulia is your team leader in home runs with 12 and no one else has more than six, you know, you're going to be hard-pressed to win a lot of games when you're not, you know, producing a lot of power and you're not, you know, getting guys off base. Um, so that's one, you know, example I would just mention of just the offense. You know, I think... Uh, you know, George Corona has been a staple in this lineup for the past couple seasons. Uh, definitely not the power numbers um, or the batting average numbers that we've seen from him over the past couple seasons. Um, but, you know, he's, he's dependable. He plays pretty much every single day. Um, I would say he's, you know, when he's on, he's a major run producer for this team. Um, and, you know, I don't know if we're going to talk about uh, stealing bases tonight, but um, if we are later, I mean, I would watch out for George tonight. He, he throws out a lot of runners trying to steal. Um, at that catcher spot, and uh, you know, I know that you all, that's what's strength of their team. Um, but just back on the offensive side, yeah, Logan McLeod, he's on base 18 straight games. Um, you know, it's actually kind of funny, you know, it, you know, typically you would think, you know, offense, it's just all about, you know, tying in and, you know, just kind of settle in. Um, but actually, the reason that he's uh, on the streak now is because uh, he was moved from shortstop uh, to third base back to his natural position. Um, and Lane and himself have admitted that um, he feels like that position change really flipped the script. Um, in terms of his offensive production, just getting that confidence back up and just reminding him of the type of player that he is. Um, so you're right, he's, he's a major you know, on-base guy for this team. Um, Ethan Bates has been solid at times. Um, you know, I wouldn't exactly call him one of you know, the top hitters on this team, um, but when he's on, you know, similar to George and uh, Bernie Dross, you know, I think uh, you got to watch out. 
Uh, in terms of pitchers, you know, like I mentioned, kind of underwhelming for the large part, but Jonathan Fincher, um, he's been pretty solid throughout the season. You know, tonight we're expecting to see Reed Smith on the mound. Um, again, a guy that they initially tried out on the weekend um, for the first couple series, um, and it started off pretty well, um, and now, you know, sits with a 9.2 um, ERA. You know, he's given up 26 home runs, the most on the team. Um, and just for context, he's given up seven home runs, the most on the team, in just 25 innings pitched. Fincher, the Friday starters pitched 49 innings, and he's given up 20 errors. So, I mean, that gives you an idea of uh, Reed's struggles this season. So, um, I think overall tonight for the Bulldogs, if they can get Reed to throw, you know, close to four innings, I, I think he's really are feeling confident uh, because where the Bulldogs have struggled this year is where they just don't get starts, you know, past the third inning. they got to go to that bullpen early, which has uh, been, you know, pretty lack, lacking in terms of depth. Um, you know, obviously Landon Tompkins and Ethan Bates, Ryan Harland have been solid for them at times, but again, inconsistency is the word with this group. So I think if you're Louisiana Tech tonight, you got to hope that Reed can give you at least four innings on the mound, um, you know, keep the runs pretty low, and then just hope that your offense um, comes to play. Matt Bellinson of the Ruston Leader joining us here on Crunch Time to talk all things Louisiana Tech as they prepare to play against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns tonight in a 6 o'clock first pitch. Matt, really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Yeah, appreciate the time, guys. Thanks for having me on. And there he goes, Matt Bellinson of the Ruston Leader. He covers Louisiana Tech for the Ruston Leader. 5-12 here on your Tuesday. Poll question of the day. Should the University of Louisiana adopt a mascot? Yes. No. They're still the Bulldogs to me. So far, 91% of you say yes. 6% say that they're still the Bulldogs. And the other 3% say no, I don't like fun. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm a fan of the idea of having a mascot from a, you know, fan engagement and, uh, you know, just a spirit identity type of situation. But I have a lot of questions. Why a gator? Why now? Who's going to be in the suit? Who's going to pay for said suit? There, there's, there's a lot of questions that, that have to get answered. Now, here's the thing. Does a mascot really cost a lot of money? No, probably not. But unless you get a student to do it, you're going to have to pay somebody to be in that suit. You're going to have to pay for the maintenance on said costume because they they have to be taken care of. They have to be well-kept. It, it's not as easy as just sewing a suit together and say, here you go. Like There's more to it than that. There's a reason UL hasn't had a mascot in, what, seven years, six years? So I'm kind of in the middle. James, what do you think? I mean, I would always love that. Every team have a mascot i get it why some just don't because i think about it i think it'd be hilarious if whether it's this like the new york giants if they had like just a mascot that was enormous compared to all others because like you'll look at some teams like the saints who have sir saint and gumbo interacting i i think i think having a mascot is always great for fan appeal because it helps create a dynamic and an interaction with the fans that you can't get from watching the game at your house. Like, you have to be at the game for you to be able to really either see or really be able to interact with whoever the mascot would be with the Cajuns or seeing Gumbo or Sir Saint or seeing Mike the Tiger. You know, I, I part of me thinks that they should just bring back the... I think you should bring back one of the old ones. I, I get why... the Cajun man. I get why... You would want to do something new, like bring a gator, since you know you have a swamp on campus. I get that Louisiana is known for their alligators, but you're the Cajuns. 
this isn't this isn't Auburn where you're the Plainsman Tigers, and what's and what's the other one War Eagle and the War Eagle. It's like we're we're not doing this. You already you, you originally you were the Bulldog. You because it's so stupid. You love it's to so, bring that up. It's so dumb. Pick one. It's like it's kind of the same thing with UL where you were originally the Bulldogs as a mascot. You had Correct. the Cajun Chicken. It wasn't an official mascot, but it was still someone that you saw and that was affiliated and close tied with the Cajuns. And then you had the pepper that you had for a hot little minute that was also part of your logo for your little apostrophe. Correct. And then you just haven't had one since. And then you want to also now bring in a gator. It's like you just, want to bring in ties with that said gator, but it's like I'd rather you just go back to what you had before. Just bring back the Cajun man. Just make a suit of a, a or Cajun. Just, or just have a guy like from – the water boy, where you just have the the guy look like one of the coaches just, in the overalls. Just the guy. Just, yeah. just have mean, the guy in, in some overalls. Don't make it too complicated. That that way you don't have to have to buy a suit. You don't have to you don't even have to worry about the suit. Hey, I'm always a fan of the kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. There it is. Exactly. Or keep it stupid simple, whichever way you want to look at it. Um keep it stupid, stupid. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could go with that too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean would I be okay with it? Yeah, I, I just it, it's one of those things where you have such a unique identity as the Raging Cajuns. You are the one and only Raging Cajuns. Don't mess it up because if you want to prove that you belong and that you stand apart from everybody else. You need everything that you do to stand apart from everybody else, if that makes any sense. Uh, but we'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time. When we return, we'll talk LSU baseball as they prepare to play Tulane tonight. Hear from Jay Johnson as he met with the media yesterday, and then we'll send it out to Uptown for the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo is coming back in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has your free tickets. Text Rodeo to 337-283-8100 for the Angola Prison Rodeo April 22nd and 23rd. Bull riding, wild horse racing, and convict poker. Once again, text Rodeo to 337-283-8100 to watch the world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo, courtesy of Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 523, almost 5. 24 here on your Tuesday. Got about six minutes until we turn it over to Chris Blair, the voice of the LSU Fighting Tigers. Jay Johnson met with the media yesterday, and he talked about how LSU's kind of been critiqued thus far with their light schedule to start the season. No, I mean, as far as people's opinion, I just think people like to complain about things. I mean, it's, it's just too much energy to be positive about you know, the national championship basketball team or the number one rated baseball team. Like, I, we, we have a reason for everything that we do. Um, you know, um, I'm trying to think on, on ours. I can't speak to theirs. I don't, I don't know the sport. I know they won all but two games, and they won. They held the trophy. So I think, I think their decision-making was pretty sound. Um, you know, I mean, we – Kansas State – I mean, they're right up at the top of the Big 12 standings. If great record. Um, Iowa's really good. Sam Houston's winning the WAC. Texas is winning the Big 12, so that worked. Uh, Central Connecticut is five games in first place in their league. Samford's winning their league. Um, I actually went through last night and was looking at Warren Nolan like, yeah, we did fine on the, on the scheduling thing. Just because we won a bunch of games by a lot of runs just says more about Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Gavin Dugas, Trey Morgan, and all those guys than, than the opponent. Lawyered. Done. Roasted. Mic drop. Walk away. Done. Because here's the thing. This is the second time this year LSU's had to go through this. 
Because you heard the same thing with Kim Mulkey back in November. Play somebody with a pulse. Play somebody that isn't Bellarmine or, or, or whatever school you want to draw up. And guess what? They did. And guess what? They won. Won a natty, by the way. So that kind of debunked the whole you don't play anybody argument. Because they've gotten into SEC play and out of 11 games, you've won seven of them? I'm not a mathematician, but that's about 60%. Three out of five? Not that bad. It's actually pretty damn good. So, good on Jay Johnson for giving his two cents on that because that argument's just ridiculous. That's insane. They played, everybody that they have played is having success in their respective leagues. Who cares if you run ruled them? That just means you're that much better. Good for you. That means absolutely nothing. But anyways, moving on. Uh, Jay Johnson talked about his opponent tonight in the Tulane Green Wave. Yeah, no, they're fine. They're 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 yeah, they're the best team I've ever seen with that record. Like they played a, they probably played too tough a schedule to be honest with you. Um, and they have good players and. They're really well coached. I mean, Jay Ullman was at Oregon while I was at Arizona. Um, I mean, he played at Nevada. I coached at Nevada, so I've known him for a long time. Uh, Justin Bridgman, their assistant coach, one of my former players at Nevada. Um, so they'll, they'll be fine. Like that. It's if we win, I'm gonna walk out of there feeling like it's a good win. Yeah, they're they're that's. I'm not buying it, and I think they'll finish better in the American than maybe their preseason that they had. Do you have an idea of who might pitch? It'll be probably several guys. Uh, how we're ordering it or setting it up, I'm not ready to put that out there yet. He also talked about Gavin Duga and Cade Beloso and the impact they've been able to make for the Tigers. Yeah, it's big. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, Gavin was probably the only player on our roster that could give us the jolt that he's give, given us. Um, it just we just needed to get him healthy. I mean, he just hasn't been healthy, and so to get him healthy, and then for him to step in and be a great competitor that he has. I mean, his first team All American, second baseman right now. Like I don't know what anybody else is doing, but it's got to be him, you know. Um, and then with Cade, you know, that was a big loss last year. I mean, it, nobody remembers because it was it happened right before the season. Um, we really could have used him last year, and when you have Dylan. And Tommy, sometimes all you need is a really quality professional at bat after those guys come up, and that's what he's given us. And, um, you know, you'll obviously continue to see him in there a lot and um, really happy about that and happy for him. He's done everything I've asked from the day I was the coach here, and he's put in a ton of work. Like, And so now to see it come to fruition and him be – a massive contributor to this team. It's He deserves all the credit for that. We wrap up today's show. I want to take this opportunity to thank Andrew Schlecht and Matt Bellinson for joining us. James, one more time, happy birthday, bud. Hope, you're, hope your Jordan year is everything you wanted it to be. Um, who knows? Maybe you'll get some Michael Jordan basketball skills like, like, like and like Mike. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Right, right, wouldn't it? For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well. Give a hug to your mom and them, and we're back tomorrow for what will probably be a long show of crunch time right after the Astros take the field. First pitch set for 11.30 here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Listen to Uptown New Orleans now. And the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair for LSU and Tulane.